Okay, so here we go. So this will be the ending of our second chapter. I wanted to start off with talking about the indies just a little bit. Uh, I just want to make sure nobody was confused about this. I think uh, there was a little bit of confusion in class. There are the West Indies and the East Indies. The West Indies are also known as the British West Indies, and those are the ones that are over in the Caribbean. And then the East Indies are also known as just the Indies, and those are the ones that are off the coast of Indonesia. So I just want to make sure you guys have that correct in your mind and in your notes. All right, so let's carry on with where we left off in class. So we had talked last about the Carolinas and, you know, the impact of the British West Indies and that the Carolina was created in 1670. We talked about Charlestown and how it later became Charleston. But let's talk specifically about North Carolina. Now, it was created officially in 1712 and it was used as a a refuge for poor whites and those who were considered to be religious dissenters from Carolina and Virginia. So people that would have been, you know, kind of deemed heretics or heretical. Uh, it became the most democratic, independent, and least aristocratic of the original 13 colonies. This is going to be similar to Rhode Island and New England that we've talked about and how open they were to you know, religions and uh, gender equality, etc. Uh, tobacco was its main export, and this is going to be similar to the, the Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay, and they treated Native Americans ruthlessly, and they sold many into slavery. So it was democratic and independent if you were white and male. Because, again, you know, women didn't really have uh, rights as of this time. So, Georgia. Now, this was the last British American colony, colony to be founded. It was founded in 1733 by James Oglethorpe. And that's O-G-L-E-T-H-O-R-P. Uh, it was a haven for debtors. As well as what was considered a buffer state against Spanish and American Indian uh, incursions, so between the Spanish and the indigenous from the south. Initially, it's going to prohibit free blacks or slaves from living in the colony because they thought that slavery might take root there. It's not, it's not something that they wanted, obviously, by the Civil War. This was firmly rooted in Georgia. Um, by that time, they didn't incorporate rice and indigo, and it was worked specifically by African slaves. Now, Savannah. Savannah emerged into a very diverse community, and this is going to include German Lutherans and the Scottish Highlanders, but you're not really going to see any Catholics there. They're going to be a minority if there's any. English settlers are going to make up a, a low proportion of the colony's population, unlike with the other the other colonies where the English settlers are going to be your, your more prominent. Uh, Georgia is also going to be the least populous of the 13 colonies. All right, now let's get into colonial slavery. Most 
of the slaves came from west the West African coast. So we're looking at Senegal um, and, and Angola, that area in there. <clears throat> they were originally captured by African coastal tribes who traded them to European and American buyers. Now, we'd already talked about the the triangular trade. This is part of that triangular trade. Uh, around 40% of slaves captured by Africans in the interior died en route to the coast. That's that middle passage. So of the 10 to 15 million Africans sent into slavery in the quote-unquote new world, uh, 400,000 came to North America. and The majority were sent to Spanish and Portuguese colonies in the Caribbean and South America. Around 25% of these slaves died during that Middle Passage we just talked about. And this was mainly due to the horrific conditions. Uh, slaves would be chained by the neck and the extremities to the deck floor. They usually only had enough space about the size of a coffin, and they had to, you know, it's like, like you had the, you know, bathroom facilities. So you can imagine. Um, in some cases, the next deck was only about 18 inches above the floor deck, so slaves could not turn over. They had to lay on their backs the entire voyage, so, you know, you're talking about um, bed sores, and this is obviously going to attract insects and rats and, like I said, horrific. Uh, the survivors w were eventually sold um, on an auction block at ports like uh, Newport, Rhode Island, or Charleston, South Carolina. And this was considered to be a, a slave market. Uh, most slaves came to North America after 1700. Some came to Jamestown as early as 1619, but only 2,000 lived in Virginia in 1670. Slaves accounted for about 7% of the southern plantation population by the mid-17th century. And this is going to, you know, more than double... As we move, as we move toward a uh, revolution, and this, and obviously toward civil war. Now, the rising wages in England in the 1680s is going to reduce any kind of immigration to America. So, by the 1680s, African slaves are going to outnumber the white servants. In 1698, the Royal African Company is going to lose its monopoly on the slave trade. So some Americans, especially from Rhode Island, are going to take advantage of this uh, lucrative slave trade. So it's all about capitalism here. So the number of slaves in America are going to increase dramatically. They're going to account for about 46% of Virginia's population by 1750. In South Carolina, uh African slaves are going to outnumber Europeans or whites two to one. And in contrast, slaves counted for only 5% of the North's population. So if you look at like Massachusetts, it was only 2%. Until 1750, 25% of all slaves who arrived in North America died within the first year. Now, remember we talked about the harsh conditions. A uh, few slaves gained their freedom. Some even became slave owners. However, this should not be over exaggerated because this is relatively minuscule in in relation to the entire slave population. This is a very very small percent. You know, you're talking less than one percent. So don't don't think that this was you know any kind of commonplace. 
Now, we talked about that this was chattel slavery. So you get into the slave codes, and this whole, this chattel slavery is they were property. They could be bought, they could be sold, they could be traded, they could be inherited. Just like, you know, just like a, a couch or a dining room table. Um, as Africans grew in numbers, this is going to threaten some whites. They're going to start passing laws to control the slave population. Uh, some of these slave codes would state that Africans and their children were their, their white master's property for life. Uh, it was a crime to teach literacy to slaves. Like, you know, you've, you've probably all heard that, uh, that phrase, knowledge is power. And originally, conversion to Christianity was a way that you could become free. You would change from uh, your ancestral, your cultural religion, convert to Christianity, and you could become free. But these black codes would change that, so now the conversion to Christianity was no longer grounds for freedom. South Carolina is going to inherit the, the Barbados slave codes, and this is going to influence codes in other colonies. Slavery is going to become the root of racism in America as a distinct color line was drawn because this was about, the, the slavery was about color alone. Uh, we talked about it before that in other countries, like your older slavery, didn't have to do so much with your color as like where your allegiances lied. So unlike the intermingling of whites, blacks, and Native Americans that was in the Caribbean, Mexico, and South America, there was very little intermarriage that occurred between blacks and whites in Britain's North American colonies. So, in effect, a caste system emerged in North America where African Americans, free or slave, were related to the bottom of the social hierarchy. Now, children born to a slave woman and a white slave owner, who were a mulatto, were still considered slaves or were marginalized if they were set free. Um, one of the things we've already talked about were sexual relations between white women and males of other races were, you know, pretty much prohibited. And this is going to be up until like the 1940s, 1950s, where you were still not allowed to marry outside of your race. The notion of inferiority was based on skin color and was embedded into, you know, our laws until 1960s or so on. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Now, slave life. Uh, slavery was harsher in the lower, in the lower south, especially in South Carolina, and it was least harsh in the New England and Middle Colonies, which we've talked about a little bit. But we've mainly discussed that it was the worst in South America, you know, just because of the high mortality rate. Um, you're going to have isolated conditions when it came to rice and indigo farming. It's going to lead to a lot of deaths. Uh, the fresh importation of slaves was needed to sustain productivity, so it was a continual, like, refresh of bodies. The tobacco growing in the Middle South was less deadly. Plantations were larger and closer together, and this afforded slaves more contact with their friends and their relatives. There was also an increase of uh, female slave population. It's going to make family life uh, a little more possible by 1720. The slave population increased through a higher birth rate, and America, America came 
one of few slave societies in history to grow by natural reproduction. But again, this wasn't necessarily a good thing because your children could be taken away. You could be broken up from your, you know, your spouse. So it wasn't always a good thing. It was just more like, more like breeding stock. <clears throat> Slave culture became a mixture of American and African folkways. So the elements of Western African culture, like language, um, oral traditions, music, any kind of religious practice, and in family patterns, you know, the way that, that families would work together or work within a family group still remained part of the American slave community. Family ties were often informal, and extended family ties were important. So the result of slave families being broken up regularly due to members being sold. Uh, you had fictive kin, and this is members of a community might be considered family even though they're not related by blood because, you know, like I said, you've got a lot of families that are being broken up. So you would kind of adopt these these other people as your brothers or your sisters, you know, your 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 aunties and uncles and such. Uh, children were primarily raised by their mothers who often dominated the home in slave quarters. And children were often looked after by many members of the community. Again, this was, you know, a necessity. The oral traditions were valuable in maintaining the African heritage, so teaching slaves to read was illegal in much of the South, so, so there was an alternate, alternate way of spreading culture, and that was that oral tradition. It became necessary due to the inability to, you know, to read and to write. Uh, after the workday was over, slaves would often get together on large plantations and share stories or their hopes of eventual liberation. Oral traditions were passed on in several languages, like Gullah, that's G-U-L-L-A-H, the uh, Pidgin English, P-I-D-G-I-N, and then English, and then Creole, which, you know, is still spoken in several places. Now, the religion. Uh, the call and response tradition from Africa was a component of slave religious meanings. Religion in slave communities often blended various forms of Christianity mixed with African traditions like voodoo. So you'll see that in um, and places like Louisiana is still very, very much alive. Certain elements of Christianity were very appealing. So, you know, everyone is equal in heaven and Christ ministering to the poor. So this would be something that those who were enslaved would kind of hold near and dear. The book of Exodus in the Bible was particularly po uh, popular because the Jews were led by Moses and they had escaped Egypt. So, you know, it was that, that kind of liberation tale. Okay, music. There were rhythmic complexities of Africa that were incorporated into music and drum rhythms that were played by slaves. The the banjo, which is an African instrument, was used regularly. Bet you didn't know the banjo came from Africa. Kind of sounds like a, you know, deliverance kind of thing. The European violin, or the fiddle, was adapted by slaves and became a staple instrument. And then call and response singing was a popular element of slave music. So, like, you would sing one thing and then someone would... It's like the call part, and they would sing it back to you, and you go back and forth. All right, so slave rebellions. Now, they're going to show that slaves were not always docile. Around 250 revolts occurred during the colonial era. The Stono, S-T-O-N-O, -O, rebellion of 1739 was the largest slave revolt in the history of the 13 colonies. 
So Spanish authorities offered freedom to any slave who escaped to Florida and converted to Catholicism. And this uh, original offer occurred in, in 1693, so it was a long-running offer. So there was a steady stream of, of slaves that had escaped to Florida in the early 1700s. And these escaped slaves represented a drag on the South Carolina economy and an embarrassment, obviously, to the British Empire. You know, they can't be letting their slaves escape. Oh, dear. A little bit of sarcasm there. Um, some of the escaped slaves would fight to protect Spanish Florida from British attacks. So, all of that would make the British and, by extension, the king look bad. In 1739, slaves in South Carolina tried to march to Spanish Florida. They were eventually stopped by a militia after 25 whites had been killed. Eventually, there would be scores of slave rebels who were killed by militia and settlers. It was more of a, like a curtailing. Now, the significance of this was that the slave system became more strictly controlled. So, in other words, they would take more of the rights of slaves to assemble with one another because they were afraid of more rebellions. All right, so the Southern society in 18th century, the Southern class structure, we'll talk about the most powerful to the least powerful. So at the top, you've got the plantation owners. They're going to be at the top of that social ladder. They ruled the region's economy and monopolized the political power. Small farmers uh, comprise the largest social group. So that's going to be your second group. Uh, they're considered far below the prestige and power of the planter class, and most lived meager existences. Some owned one or two slaves. A lot of times they would work with their slaves in the field, and they would have a, a modest size plot. So where you've got your southern, you know, your plantation owners that are holding, you know, hundreds of acres. Um, your Your small farmers would have you know five to ten then you would have your landless whites and most were former indentured servants which we've already talked about what that is the next the next layer down is the indentured servants this is the lowest of the whites and this is going to decrease as black slavery increased especially after bacon's rebellion which we've already went over and only black slaves were lower in the class structure which they constituted about 20% of colonial population by 1775. Now, the South is going to continue to remain undeve undeveloped as far as cities. There's going to be very few. Life, if life is going to revolve around the southern plantations, and there's going to be very poor transportation. So waterways are going to be the principal means of transportation. You're not going to have a whole lot of, like, oxen, cart, and trains, and whatnot. Now, the biggest thing is why did the southern colonies differ from England? Now, we talked about England being small and, you know, you, you don't have a lot of space for a lot of agriculture. So there's going to be a higher demand for labor of indentured servants in the south. There's going to be more men because women are going to come in smaller numbers. And there's also going to be that importation of slaves from Africa as part of that triangular trade. Okay, so this is where we're going to end. This is the, the last of Chapter 2 here. And I'm going to go ahead and get your terms to know posted. And we will discuss your essay questions on Tuesday.